The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. 7.36, you are with SFM 104 to 107. We're through with you till 10 o'clock this morning. Don't forget that lovely KG is on at 10 o'clock with Seasons for your Heritage Weekend. Nevertheless, we know that COP26 will be happening in Glasgow in October. We also know that water is a scarce resource and that climate change is on code red. Mina Guli is the CEO of Thirst, a focus on women and also water. She, uh, in 2012, she was looking at promoting water conservation to young people. So she attempted to run 100 marathons, I mean insane, in 100 days to raise awareness of water scarcity. But a fractured femur forced her to abandon the attempt on day 63. People will do amazing things. She's on the line right now, but she is locked down in Melbourne. So uh, am I to understand, Mina Guli, that there's no running at the moment? No, I'm allowed to... Hello. Hello. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm allowed, I'm allowed to run, but I have to do loops in my 5K radius. So it's um, repetitive, shall we say. So are you feeling a little like a hamster on a wheel at the moment? <laughs> That's a very good way to describe it. I hadn't thought about that. Now you know that next time I go for a run, I'm just going to be thinking about a hamster, like making round its way uselessly around a little wheel. Round, yeah, exactly. Well, I feel, to be honest, it's almost like the way that we treat water and climate change and all of these things. I feel like so, for so many of us, yeah. we all feel like hamsters on this wheel of we desperately need to change. And here we are running in loops around our 5K or we're a little hamster on a wheel that feels like nothing is changing. And yet, Everything needs to change. You know, it's interesting that you say that, Mina. Um, I was chatting to Lewis Pugh the other day, and of course he's just done that massive swim in um, Greenland and Iceland. And one of the things he said was it felt like the uh, icebergs were moving faster than politicians were moving and leaders were moving globally. Are you feeling uh, likewise? Yes, depressingly so. I think that decision makers who live far away, often in places in the water context where water comes out of the tap, don't feel or understand or feel connected to the problem on the ground. It always feels like this is water, climate change, it's someone else's problem to solve. And that's led to this whole, like what I call blindness, blindness to the issues, blindness to the implications, and blindness to the fact that this is real people's lives in real places around the world. And, you know, Cape Town, Melbourne, where I'm from, we feel it. We've seen it. We have visibly seen what it is like to live in a water-stressed environment and the consequences that climate change is having on all of us. And we know that we can't ignore it. But somehow we need to get those decision-makers in their ivory towers in places all around the world to see what we've seen and to act like we know they need to act. Mina, it's interesting. You came from uh, the private sector in the energy and infrastructure sectors and I'm thinking about infrastructure in particular I recently heard that just the creation or the making of cement is takes up something like eight percent of our um is is part of eight percent of our carbon dioxide output if I'm if I'm not mistaken which of course talks to the building of new buildings the constant building of new buildings and the impact that that has on our climate you must have a deeper understanding of all of that, given your history in that particular sector. Yes, 
Uh, I think that it's very easy for us as consumers and citizens to ignore the environmental impacts that our daily lives have. You know, in the context of water, if you just think about what you're wearing today, the clothes that you're wearing, you're probably wearing a smart outfit, um, drinking a cup of coffee, it's early morning, um, just what you're wearing today, just what you're wearing today took more water to make than your than the, all the water you've drunk in your entire lifetime. Just one outfit. Like, water goes into everything we use, we buy, and we consume every single day. And I think that if we can find a way for people to understand that, we'll also find a way for people to, for organizations and leaders to create change. It does start to talk to the idea of how do we recycle. Let's really start to look at recycling clothes. Let's start to look at recycling buildings. We don't need to have new buildings unless they are extremely energy efficient. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Well, and it's also about saying we can't afford to do things the way that our parents and our grandparents have done them. We need to do things differently. At the moment, our water use is growing twice as fast as our population. We cannot sustain that. Because by 2030, on current predictions, we'll have, we will need 40% more water than is available on Earth. We need to find solutions. Some of those solutions will be recycling, reusing, but it'll mainly be doing things differently, not saying you have to do without. This is not about saying we need to make a ton of sacrifices. It's about saying we need to use our brains and our ingenuity to figure out how we can live the lives we want with a much smaller environmental footprint including a much smaller water footprint you know i'm so interested that you say 40 percent more water by 2030 i think that one of the great challenges in the world and you mentioned it earlier is that many people think that water comes from a tap and that it's infinite so we switch on the tap and we can just let that water go forever but there is only if one thinks there's only a hundred percent worth of water on the globe. There's no more than that 100%. So if you say, well, we're going to need 40% more water, we're not going to get 140% more. And in fact, we've probably only got 70 or 80 of that 100% given how we've wasted our water and uh, it's just through, through, through waste and, and, and the killing of water in many ways. This is a huge challenge for people to understand. Yeah, it's also a challenge because on the flip side, like as we're using more, we've also got less available. And part of the reason that, just to be clear, part of the reason why the water is not available is because it's locked in places that we can't access it. So the vast majority of water on the planet is the oceans. We look out everywhere. You guys have got beautiful scenery over oceans. You're surrounded by them, as are we. And most of the water lies in the oceans. There's a huge chunk of water that's in ice that you spoke to Lewis about, he swam through it. Um, And then there's underground water supplies, which we're increasingly tapping, but they are increasingly running dry. And the challenge for us is that as our use goes up, with climate change, water and rain are falling in places that we can't traditionally capture them. You've seen it, right? Your dams were almost dry. We've had the same situation. Then the floods come. We don't have the capacity to capture all the rain. It falls in places that our dams aren't or it falls in a massive deluge that means it gets polluted and flows straight out to the oceans. So as we're confronting this reality that water use is growing twice as fast as our population, at the same time, climate change is impacting our availability of supply. 
Hmm. And that means that we're going to hit a big, big crunch. And this is not a crunch that's going to affect people in other parts of the world. This is a crunch that's going to impact all of us everywhere. Because global supply chains mean that we buy things. You know, we don't buy things from the person next door who grew all our food and grew all the, the textiles for our clothes. We buy things that have been made halfway around the world. We are connected to all of these places everywhere. And unless we change and unless we change the way that we work with them through supply chains, we will create an environment that I wouldn't want to bring kids into. You know, we need to change. The next generation needs us to do things differently. You know, well, I mean, mean, I'm just thinking about that and I'm just thinking about how we t- kind of take this forward, it's, it's, it's hugely, hugely challenging. And I think that if we look at uh, second, we, it's not for us to let the next generation deal with this. It has to be dealt with now. Mina, I want to talk to you about a global campaign that you and your team are involved in. And I have to say that we were a little confused in our team because your new campaign is that you're giving a bar of soap for every kilometer people run. Now, the Sweat for Soap campaign. Now, my problem is that soap requires water, so I can't really see the connection between the two, but I'm hoping that you'll be able to clarify that for us. Yes, I can definitely clarify it. So at the moment, three billion people on the planet lack access to adequate hand-washing facilities, but in the middle of a pandemic. The statistic is astronomical and totally horrifying. And when we heard about this, the team, um, we worked very closely with the team at Tree Shake in, in Cape Town. And together we said, it's too easy for us to think that problems like this are huge and I'm just one person, what can I do? So let's find a way for all of us as individuals to be able to become part of the solution, not just to see a problem, but to say we can act to solve it. Yeah. So we built Sweat for Soap. It is super simple. All you have to do is to sign up at sweatforsoap.com. You go online, you commit to running or walking a certain distance between the 12th and the 17th of October. So no, you don't have to run. You can also <laughs> walk, just need to cover the distance. And then for every kilometre you cover, we donate a bar of soap to communities in need around the world. And the communities that we're supplying this soap to do have access to adequate um, water facilities. What they don't have is the ability to wash their hands appropriately. So a lot of these goes to schools. The vast majority of it is distributed actually within Africa, within the African continent. Um, and it is accompanied by hand-washing tutorials and education and hygiene um, to really try to educate and inform the next generation so we actually help to stem the problem. There, there is, um, Mina, there is the idea of like dry dry washing um, and I know that there's a young man in South Africa who's been really really successful in creating um, dry soaps is that an idea that one could move to given the concerns we have yes definitely um, in a, so what's really interesting about this is a number of the issues around hand washing don't relate to ability to access water but are more around ability and knowledge around um, hand hygiene and the ability to, to wash and to understand what it all yeah. what it's what it means Um, but I do think that going forward given the impact of climate change and given where we're going with our water availability and the increase of water scarcity across the planet I definitely think that all alternatives need to be need to be looked at you know we just talked about we need to do things differently we can't do things the way we've always done them we've always used 
soap and we've always used water to wash our hands, we yeah. need to review it. So definitely, definitely think that there is a huge opportunity. And I really hope, to be really honest, that the next generation looks at this and says, wow, you old people, you really stuffed up badly. <laughs> and we can fix this with innovation, with ingenuity. We can actually help to solve this problem. Well, I think they're already saying it for sure. Mina, I suppose in closing, I was just thinking about how you, uh, when you say it's not, um, it's not the case where we think, well, this is someone else's problem. And I was thinking we can learn a lot from COVID was that I think many people in many countries thought COVID was something that would stay in China and it would be locked down there. And yet it's become a, a global issue. And much the same way we need to think that water is uh, the same kind of issue is that it's not something that happens somewhere else. It's happening right here, right now, and we must engage. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. I think for too long, water, like for water, for all of us everywhere, water is everything. Water is life. Water is everything. But for too long, we've treated it as if it's nothing. Mm. And that really needs to change. And our view is to do, to change it. We need to put our feet on the street. We need to lift our voices and we need to share our stories from across the world. You know, someone tweeted at the end of my run, um, my last run, individually, you can make a difference. You can make an impact. But together, we can change the world. Individually, you can make an impact. But together, we can change the world. And I think that's absolutely right. And I hope that this campaign is an opportunity to do that. And I hope that everybody who's listening here today says maybe this isn't just about changing the world, but it's about realising that I have the power to change my world. And that might mean going for a walk, it might mean going for a run, it might mean recruiting your friends, or just sharing your stories about how you interact with water. We need water to be on the agenda, and we need to drive meaningful change so that we're not all hamsters on a wheel, <laughs> but we're part of a global community where there's enough water for everyone forever. Mina, thank you so much for joining us. Mina Guli, and I do have to say, I know that uh, you've just mentioned that hamster on a wheel, but good luck with that running round and round Melbourne. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm looking forward to running with water. <laughs> Mina Guli, she's locked down in Melbourne, but as she says, she can run within five kilometres uh, of her home, which seems to be quite a round and round process. Nevertheless, we move forward. 751.